Welcome to Sustainability Podcast. Our podcast brings you interviews with innovative pioneers, change makers, young leaders, social workers, academicians and industry thought leaders related to the field of sustainable supply chain. Our goal is to provide sustainability professionals, young managers, academicians and anyone who is eager to make a sustainable impact and I'm your host Vishali Beth. Hello everyone. Today our guest is Tara Norton. Tara leads BSR's Global Supply Chain Sustainability Practice Domain. BSR is a global non-profit organization that works with its network of more than 250 member companies and other partners to build a sustainable world. From its offices in Asia, Europe and North America, BSR develops sustainable business strategies and solution through consulting, research and cross-sector collaboration. Tara advises chief product officers and senior directors at leading global companies on the development of supply chains that create business value and address urgent and long-term risk and opportunities. She drives strategy and implementation projects across industry sectors covering sustainable procurement, supply chain strategy, collaboration, traceability, blockchain and supply chain finance. Tara has also authored several reports. She also teaches at the University of Cambridge Institute for Sustainability Leadership. Before joining BSR, she directed supply chain work at two degrees. At Sedex, she ran and significantly grew the world's largest not-for-profit sustainable supply chain membership organization and database. Previously, Tara worked in sustainable procurement at BAA and was project manager at the World Trade Center Association. She also served as a Peace Corps volunteer in Ukraine. Tara holds an MBA from London Business School and a BA in International Studies and French from Northwestern University. Let's welcome Tara today to our show and talk to her about her experience and different research projects. Tara, welcome to Sustainability in Supply Chain. Hi, nice to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I already gave our listeners a summary of your professional experience but we would like to learn from you overview of supply chain and sustainability at BSR Certainly yes yeah. so I am the managing director of supply chain sustainability at BSR and BSR is a global not for profit uh, organization that works with business towards a just and sustainable world and we have about 265 Uh, member companies and we've been active in sustainability for 26 odd years. We work with companies on their uh, supply chains on helping their supply chains to be more sustainable in my practice area. We also have other things that we do within BSR. But what that means in practice is we're working with companies to establish sustainable supply chain or respons- responsible sourcing programs within their companies. Uh, we're also working with them on how do you engage your supply 
supply chain to be more sustainable in lots of different ways. What does that really look like? And then we also kind of push the envelope on research and collaboration. Uh, we work with companies across multiple industries together on specific issues, uh, such as, for example, we have a collaborative initiative called Her Project, which works with women workers globally in the supply chain. Or we have another one, which is called the Clean Cargo Working Group, which works on calculating uh, emissions in the global shipping industry and proving that, that performance. And then we also do, we work on some cutting edge topics like uh, blockchain. We're doing work on blockchain and traceability uh, and digital payment of workers, etc. So that's a bit of a nutshell of what we do. And what kinds of company do you work with at BSR? What kind of sectors do you serve? We work across almost all sectors, um, but our members are predominantly in uh, food and beverage, retail apparel, ICT, so consumer electronics, as well as telecommunications and other uh, IT companies, uh, manufacturing, infrastructure, and so we work energy extractives, uh, finance as well. We work with finance companies both on sort of sustainability strategy as well as their, their products, as well as their operations. So just to kind of give you a sense of that, it's quite specific. Um, and then I'm sure I'm forgetting something, but basically we work across the board on, on uh, industry sectors. Wonderful. And how do you drive value through supply chain sustainability? Because it's kind of a supply chain itself is a complex process. And now we are adding sustainability angle to it. So how do you drive through supply chain? Mm, very good. Well, one of the things I would say you'd start you start with in general is taking a very practical approach. So one of the nice things about supply chains in general, and as an area in business when you're thinking about sustainability, is it's quite a pragmatic uh, function area. It's, you know, this is about movement of goods and services in some ways um, around the world to get products to market or services to market. And so in that way, anything that you're going to do in the supply chain when you're thinking about sustainability has to be pragmatic and practical. What we find, actually, the more companies that we work with is that sustainability can add to and help with those sort of pragmatic goals around efficiency and cost in some cases and time to market. I mean, just give, to give you a very fundamental example, often when we work with companies, the starting place for sustainability is saying, okay, well, let's look at what's in your supply chain. You know, what are the big risks in your supply chain? So we have to start by understanding what is their supply chain? You know, what, who, who are their suppliers? Where are their suppliers located? And we often find that sustainability brings the demands for getting more clarity on the data of your supply chain. Who are who is in your first tier? Looking at who's, you know, in second, third, fourth tiers in some cases. And so we're already sort of contributing to this idea of creating more of an efficient better managed data set, which obviously is a core need in the supply chain function. So it's always a, it's always about looking at how sustainability can add value to the business as well as to the wider supply chain environment. Does that answer your question? Right. Yes. It gives me an overview. Yeah. So, Tara, you mentioned that you're working with a lot of companies, but specifically, I would like to touch on cosmetics and luxury business. Mm -hmm. Can you give us a sneak peek of their supply chain? Yes, I will try to do so in a in a um, 
commercially sensitive way, certainly. <laughs> yeah, because cosmetics industry and luxury industry are really in interesting um, for a couple of reasons. Uh, one thing, especially in the luxury space, they have been quieter actors for a long time on sustainability. And only in the last few years are we really seeing sort of public displays of sustainability. Um, for example, you know, Chanel uh, published their first uh, citizenship report, I believe it was last year. Uh, so that gives you a sense. It doesn't mean they were never doing anything. It's just they weren't as as out in the public eye on, on the questions. And the beauty industry has been doing it a bit longer, but sort of they, they were they were later comers to the sustainability party, for example, than, than say, for example, consumer electronics or apparel, uh, certainly high street apparel, uh, which was really called out in the 90s, you know, for, for needing to address some of the practices in their supply chains. And so that's meant that they've been able to be, you know, strategic actors. They've been able to take their time to really look at what their most important uh, sustainability issues are um, and to really, you know, to really uh, work through those issues in a way that now when they're coming out with things, they're really confident about, about what they're working on um, and have, have a very interesting and different voice to bring to the, the uh, world of sustainability. From a supply chain perspective, I mean, these are just like in a, in a lot of other industries, massively complex supply chains. I mean, if you take the beauty industry, if you look on the back of any of your uh, cosmetics or, or shampoo or cream uh, bottles, you'll see the list of ingredients that's in there. And uh, many of those ingredients are either, or all of them are either chemical or coming from, you know, natural derivatives. And all of that comes from plants or, you know, natural resources at multiple places all around the world. So you're dealing with very, very complex supply chains in the cosmetic center, in the cosmetics industry, excuse me. Um, in luxury, um, similar thing, you know, you're dealing with multiple uh, different kinds of inputs. Um, you also have a complexity of a lot of uh, highly competitive areas of the brands and their supply chains. And so there's a lot of uh, a need to create, to, to maintain confidentiality at multiple levels within the supply chain, uh, which is not again, unique to luxury, but it's sort of a, a, a specific um, characteristic of the luxury supply chain. And, and both of them, which I think is, is really interesting for the context of this discussion have this sort of root in a lot of their most important materials in the natural world. Um, and so thinking about, you know, these supply chains are highly dependent on our natural resources in many ways. Uh, indeed, we've written some reports about this at BSR, uh, certainly for the luxury side. And so, you know, thinking about cotton and wool and silk and those kinds of, you know, natural, uh, you know, ingredients. And then obviously on the cosmetic side, you've got, you know, everything from palm oil to oranges to vanilla yeah. to, you know, incense uh, to uh, patchouli. I mean, you've got all kinds of ingredients, thousands and thousands that sort of make their way into our cosmetics. Can you tell us some of the big sustainability topics that luxury business are focusing in their supply chain? And it's really important because I think this industry is mostly based on trust. So what do you think some of the big topics are there right now? Well, so I'll, I'll, I guess I'll start by saying 
BSR actually put out a report with, we have a responsible luxury initiative. We put out a report just last year called Disrupting Luxury. It was actually the responsible luxury initiative that, that put it out, but really looked at the priorities uh, for the luxury business in terms of sustainability or the luxury industry in terms of sustainability. But a lot of those have supply chain implications. And there were three main opportunities that we pointed out. Uh, and so one of them was circular economy. And actually, if you look at the fashion industry writ large, not only luxury, there's a huge push to really work on circular uh, business models, including circular supply chain models. So Mm -hmm. circular economy is a huge opportunity. And that's related to innovation as well. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of push push and innovation. Um, The second opportunity that we pointed out for luxury was about um, having a positive impact on society. Now, this may sound obvious, but obviously luxury is one of those industries that isn't in everybody daily lives, unfortunately. You know, not all of us can afford luxury items. So what does that mean for a a business that is serving, you know, the affluent members of our society to be contributing to a positive impact on society? And so one of the things that's really been a big push in luxury is actually looking at fairness and wages for workers in in the global supply chain, in their specific supply chains. And you can see, uh, for example, one great practice that came out, which is not only related to the supply chain, in fact, it's much more about their core business, but was caring gave family leave to everybody in their in their own business at every level. Uh, and that's not, you know, that's a leading practice. You know, that's not something that, that every company is doing. So that's just an example of kind of how they're looking at taking care of their employees as well as the employees in their supply chains. Um, and then the final thing was articulating value uh, to all stakeholders. That's the final final opportunity that we saw. So the, the final thing is really about, you know, one of the nice things about luxury is it, it in certain ways, luxury is very much like sustainability. You know, it's about these well-made, you know, products that are made from resources that have been taken care of and they're supposed to last a long time. You know, so in contrast to, you know, cheaper fashion, you know, which, uh, you know, the statistics of, you know, we now have 12 seasons a year in fast fashion, you know, people are uh, in many ways not even wearing some of the clothes that they're that they're then putting into landfill. So, you know, in contrast to that, you know, luxury products are, are aimed to uh, to last a very long time, and in some cases for generations, you know, there's supposed to be items that get handed down. So reconnecting to those core values and what does that mean uh, for the rest of society in terms of, you know, being a leader and, and showing how, you know, all businesses can create value. So Tara, I'm curious to ask you one question that once you mention about the luxury business and it's like you have a limited consumers because of the amount you are paying for these products. So looking at the near future, do you think consumers will be paying for the brand image of luxury goods or will it be based on the sustainability? Oh, that's a good question and probably something you should ask directly to the luxury brands because there are people who are thinking very hard about that uh, in terms of what does luxury mean now and, and where is that consumer vision going? I mean, I really focus on the supply chain side, so I'm not sure I'm well-placed to answer that question, but I would say they're definitely intrinsically linked. You know, that's kind of where we are. And I think, again, coming back to tying it to supply chain, you know, it's really about taking care of the resources that are in the supply chain that are contributing to those products having some kind of luxury value. And so if you can equate 
luxury as we know it with the sense that the entire supply chain has been cared for in the way that you want this end product to be cared for. There's a real connection there between luxury and sustainability, potentially. Perfect. And now we have touched upon sustainability, but there are so many topics coming around in supply chain. It's digitalization, closing the loop, which you mentioned, circular economy, and many more requirements. So do you feel that luxury business supply chains are becoming more challenging rather than just focusing on sustainability? You know, the trends that you've pointed out are applicable across all sectors, which I think, you know, you... you you sort of yes. meant in your question. Yeah. But again, I think there's a there's a real link among these things. I mean, these things are all connected. I mean, what are we talking about? We're talking about we want more transparent, more visible supply chains. We want rationalized supply chains that are full of good actors, you know, that are doing the right thing to produce the, the goods and services that we want. And we want them to move faster and more efficiently. And we want to be making sure that they're the most innovative options that we can get. There's something around this sort of view of what a, a, an efficient, sustainable supply chain really looks like. And so just to take one example of a trend, uh, digitalization, you mentioned, which is obviously a very hot topic for most CPOs and, and other procurement professionals. Digitalization and sustainability go hand in hand, and there's two ways. So one is when you're thinking about digitalizing any aspect of supply chain management or procurement or, or what have you, there's a real opportunity to integrate sustainability requirements into those efforts. For example, if you're going to start digitalizing repeat orders, you could absolutely build in requirements around meeting certain sustainability objectives and would mean that, that you would be meeting those sustainability re requirements much quicker than you are today in a more manual environment. So it's the same you know, dynamic. It's just a matter of designing it to in incorporate sustainability. And on the other side, as we sort of talked about earlier, sustainability can also offer something to the digitalization of, of uh, a trend. Uh, one thing that uh, I think sometimes gets lost, although not in the best digitalization efforts, but sometimes does, is that eventually people have to use the digital systems, whatever that means, whether it means their jobs are being augmented, their jobs are being replaced, they have to be convinced to use a new technology, whatever it is, there is going to be some need to get people to interact with this digital supply chain, you know, this digitalization. And so sustainability for years has been working in the supply chain to convince suppliers at every level to do things that they might not find immediately in their business interests. So just understanding that kind of human side of things comes from sustainability. And so I think there's a, there's a real opportunity for sustainability to be integrated into these other trends and then also uh, for these other trends to be learning from sustainability. How optimistic are you about businesses meeting sustainability demands within, say, next 10 years? Uh, well, I'm, I, I have to be optimistic um, <laughs> when I look at the world around me. We, I mean, we, we you know, I think I think we all agree that business has a huge role to play. And fortunately, especially with among leading companies, is really rising to the occasion. I mean, I think one of the trends that has been most heartening in the last, you know, 
five to 10 years is the increase in efforts by the finance community. And we've seen this across the board, you know, the increasing, um, you know, sustainable assets under, under management or, you know, SRI, you know, socially responsible investing mm-hmm. has increased, you know, to something like 30% of all investing. Um, and just generally that sustainability has been much more integrated into, you know, the financial services industry writ large, you know, where you have very senior people with targets around sustainability, it's now being integrated to products. I mean, there's a whole host of examples. So I think we really see, you know, movement from the finance community. Of course, we see movement across all industries, you know, that we've already talked about with companies coming out as leaders and as leaders on different topics. Now, there's still a huge part of the world that, of course, is SMEs, you know, small, medium enterprises, and also businesses that are not necessarily on the foot you know, 500. So, you know, how is sustainability going to permeate those levels of business, I think still remains to be seen. Um, But there's a massive opportunity. I think at the same time, we've seen companies who've come out with sustainable sustainability strategies and goals, and a lot of those goals have not uh, been met. Uh, So it also, it, it behooves all of us to hold a company to account for, you know, meeting the sustainability objectives and, and goals that it sets out. It's okay to be behind, but it's it's not okay to sort of put out a goal and then just sort of let it fizzle away in the background. We need to make sure that action is continually taken. So Tara, again, one question, because my curiosity keeps popping up. So you <laughs> mentioned that uh, mostly the CPOs and CEO, uh, CEOs, they have sustainability as their target. But do you believe or from your experience that how much it is percolated down the hierarchy level in big companies mostly? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think, yes. So first of all, we see a lot of very good sustainability strategies and targets. Obviously, the most famous uh, sustainability strategy out there is Unilever's because it's the sustainable uh, living plan. It's their, you know, it's their singular strategy. And so that's been really quite powerful to demonstrate that this is all, you know, sustainability is just a part of the way that we're going to be doing business going forward. And yes, absolutely. We see visible leaders in the, in the CEO level. We see CPOs that are saying the right things. You know, uh, I, I think one of the nice developments, again, is that, you know, it's rare that you meet a CPO that doesn't think sustainability is important and doesn't have a good working understanding of what it means specifically in their business. To answer your question, yes, are there challenges in terms of making it live and be operational within companies? Absolutely. And that's why a lot of the work we do is about looking at the incentives that are in place in companies to enable people to, you know, to do the right thing. And those incentives come from simply following process. So one of the things I've learned over my many years of working in this field is if you don't have sustainability integrated into the procurement process, it's very hard for anyone to do anything about it because it's just one more thing for people in procurement to need to do. But if you have it at every step of the procurement life cycle, you know, you need to ask these particular questions at the RFP stage, you know, you need to be doing your market research, incorporating sustainability objectives, you know, when you do a tender, you know, so not only the RFP, but when you do the scoring, how are you going to score those suppliers? And then how are you going to be measuring the suppliers uh, going forward? I mean, one of the best examples is having, you know, a scorecard that incorporates sustainability into it. So you need to have sustainability baked into your processes. And once it's there, it's just like anything else. You know, it's just, it's another thing that needs to be managed. And the final thing I would say is, is, you know, the, the actual 
incentives for individuals. I mean, the businesses that end up doing well on this do have sustainability baked into the, the individual's incentives. And it's not that people don't care about sustainability or social or environmental, you know, sort of impacts. It's just that they need in their busy days to be told that it's important. And that's the way that you sort of make it live. So you have to bake it into processes and incentives. But still way to go, I'm sure. Yeah, I think so. And to make those things really, really live. Yeah, there's still a ways to go. And um, but I don't, you know, I, I'm I'm positive about that. I mean, I think I think people really have an appetite to do that. As as far as we've, you know, the companies we work with, that's what we've seen. Right. And now, do you think about sustainability from a big global perspective, or it's more aligned to the Western world? I, I was thinking when I saw that question, I was looking forward to speaking about this one because I think so certainly the way that sustainability is spoken about is very Western. I mean, yeah. you know, you would think that these ideas were invented in, you know, in, you know, in Anglo-Saxon countries or in Sweden, probably, you know. But yeah, I think I think for years, you know, from the beginning of my career in sustainability, you know, going to Asia in particular and also, you know, Africa and also in, you know, Latin America, I mean, things may not have been expressed in in this way uh, or in, in the language that we use around sustainability, but the ideas have, have always been there. And um, when I ran SEDEX, I remember going when we first um, opened our office in China and then we had our, our supplier uh, forum in Shanghai. And I remember the head of our, of our SEDEX office at the time describing um, sustainability in the guise of the five elements that because that was something that that was language that was understood within you know within china at the time and so i think it, it's sometimes just the language you we use is is quite western so so i think i think it's not a western phenomenon i just think the language you we use around it can be the other thing though just a just a sort of soft indicator uh, which i find really interesting i have the privilege of teaching on um, the university of cambridge's uh sustainable value chain certificate course which is a great course and we've had an increasing number of students who are coming from Asia um, who really really are bought into uh, the whole idea of sustainability and so I do think it's a it's a global phenomenon I just think we could do better at sort of you know cross-border translations and also listening I think sometimes you know in Europe and the US we're not always so good at listening to the examples and the practices of what's happening in other parts of the world so I think that's another element is making sure that we're elevating uh, the good practices that are coming from uh, from other parts of the world. So you do do you think this is can be a solution in a way that you remold the sustainability model in a way to match to the Asian countries or to the developing nation to make it work better. The way you ask the question is is really interesting because I think I think really the point is it needs to be something that's and this is true in supply chains it's true everywhere is that it needs to be something that's taken up and owned by the the different actors you know whether that's individuals or companies within their context and in language and in uh, in a cultural context that works for them you know the UN has you know their sustainable production and consumption efforts that have been going on for some time which have been aiming to do kind of just this which is on the national government level to create platforms that actually really reflect the local you know national culture and and ways of doing business etc um, so, so I do think that there's a lot um, around on that topic. That might be an interesting topic for a for a future uh, podcast. Actually, is looking at what are the different ways in which 
different countries are speaking about uh, sustainable supply chains. You know, so there's efforts in different countries. I mean, and I think some of it is more dictated by the West than other places. So, for example, you know, China, which has obviously been a massive part of the U.S. and Europe's uh, manufacturing supply chains and, you know, apparel supply chains and ICT supply chains for a number of years, have really responded to the demands that are coming from the Western businesses, you know, where they're saying this is what we expect. And so then the way that the companies in those countries are talking about sustainability often is a mirror of what their customers are asking for. But that's more about customer-supplier relationships than anything else. So coming to BSR again, I see that BSR is equally active in developing countries with the initiative like what you mentioned, her project. Can mm-hmm. you give some insights into this type of work that you are doing? Yeah, so her project, which is run uh, by my colleague, uh, Christine Sver, who's based in London, and we have a great Her Project team, um, and it's not, so it's not my project, I just want to give Christine the, the kudos there, but it's an excellent project and an excellent example of how, you know, companies can really help their supply chains to be more sustainable and also to get value out of that sustainability. So her project is about empowering women workers in global supply chains. Obviously, there's a tr- you know more than half of the global workforce uh, in supply chains is made up of women, and in some countries, it's significantly higher than that. And one of the things, you know, her project was started 11 years ago now, and, and one of the things that, that this started with was the inability to create dialogue in an effective manner among workers and, and management. Um, and so it seemed like a good way to increase this dialogue uh, was really to provide workers with more of a voice and more training on issues that were important to them. You know, the HER Project basically is about training women workers. There's three uh, sort of branches. There's HER Health, was about, which is about helping women workers globally to understand health education. Um, there's HER Finance, which is about helping women to gain more access to finance, understand how to manage their finances as they're, you know, women working in factories and in plantations are obviously earning money and being able to understand how to manage that. And then finally, the last one is her respect, which is probably the most challenging of the three, which is about dealing with uh, violence at work, domestic violence at work, or domestic violence at home, but also uh, violence at work, which is a real real issue facing uh, women in global supply chains. And so what this has done for companies, so we've trained, um, God, I'm going to get the number wrong. You'll have to look it up afterwards, but we've trained hundreds of thousands of women through this program. We have more than 50 brand partners who are part of it. And basically the way it works is brands partner with her project. They reach out to their supply chains, work out suppliers that are interested in providing this kind of training to the, the women in their in their supply chains. And then the local partners that BSR has in 14 countries go to the factory, meet the women workers, which, which will have designated you know, representatives, and then work out the train, training program that actually fits the local context. So it's very much a, a response to the needs of the individual women in that working environment. And it leads to women who become uh, more empowered within their workforce. It leads to a generation of leaders within the, within the factory who often rise up uh, through the ranks or who have skills that they can take with them. And it creates this better dialogue between management and the workers. The other thing it's doing for the brands who are participating is helping them to understand this 
global workforce and sensitizing people across the business to this global workforce when it's well integrated into the into the uh, business. So these types of programs um, are really important because they allow companies to, to just build a deeper connection with the workers in their global workforce, but without doing something that's um, you know driven only by a singular brand is is much more sustainable when it's done you know by multiple brands working together uh, on on a global platform. I think it's a really great example to share with everyone. So I really adore this example. So yes, coming to the next question. So Tara, what is the next biggest trend which is coming in supply chain Mm. and business should be aware right now? Well, I mean, I don't don't know if it's coming or if it's already here, but it's definitely already here in in the demand sense. It's definitely... um, traceability and transparency in the supply chain. I mean, those are the biggest things. That's that's just exploding at the moment from our perspective. I mean, we see it everywhere at the conferences. Everybody's asking us about it. There's lots of things being written about it. And of course, the technologies are there, multiple, uh, you know, technologies are there to help uh, try to uh, get a handle on it. And and the other thing driving this, of course, is regulations. There's been an increasing amount of regulation. If you take, I'm in France, if you take the France, uh, the French due diligence law, uh, which requires major corporations to be able to demonstrate that they don't have human rights violations in their supply chains, uh, which means they need to be able to see what's in their supply chains, which means getting more visibility into their supply chains. And so we're seeing companies, you know, address this in different ways. Uh, you know, we're seeing some companies that are taking a, a very deep look at specific commodities that are very important to them. So, for example, um, you know, if you take something like Starbucks and coffee, which mm-hmm. is an obvious one, you know. Starbucks is really pushing on getting uh, traceable uh, coffee. They've been doing this for a long time. Uh, and then companies who are who are doing this more broadly in terms of more visibly publishing their list of suppliers on a website or indeed, you know, showing a supplier map. Uh, showing a map of where their products are being made, even if they're not being specific about the actual individual suppliers. I actually am quite excited because literally an hour ago, I saw that uh, SourceMap, who's been doing supply chain mapping for a number of years, uh, posted on their website that they've just mapped Reese's, uh, the Reese's peanut butter cup uh, supply chain. And Reese's is my favorite candy, wow. so I was quite yes. excited to see <laughs> to see that my favorite candy's <laughs> supply chain is now mapped and physical and visible on on the internet. So I I think that's a huge trend and companies are still figuring out, you know, how to gain consumer value out of it. Uh, And there's certainly links to efficiency uh, within the supply chain context, of course, as well. Great. And Tara, with this, it brings me to my last question. With your vast experience, what is one suggestion or maybe a tip you can give to supply chain professionals? understand the supply chain you know that's the first step if everyone took the time to just step back and really get a handle on what's in their multi-tier supply chain you know so not just their first tier and the suppliers they're paying which can be complex enough to get a handle on but then to think very carefully about not necessarily mapping or getting traceability to every you know 
a very far away supplier, but to have a good understanding of where things are coming from. Uh, that will open up the possibility to work out what's important and what the opportunities are, both from a su supply chain and a sustainability perspective. And if I can make a little plug on the related note, uh, too, we have a report out, which is called the Supply Chain Leadership Ladder 2.0, uh, which is uh, public and anyone can download it. And it gives a good overview of what good um, sustainable supply chain management looks like, what are the different dimensions of it, and how to really put in place a good program in your company. So that's a useful tool for anyone to use. I'm definitely going to download this article and this report and read it. Great. Thank, thank you. <laughs> so thanks, Tara. Thanks so much for your time and sharing your views and insights with our listener today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. That's it from this episode from Sustainability. We would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, ideas, questions, or any suggestions for our next guest, please email them to us. If you like our episode, we will be happy to see you subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. Till then, happy sustainability.